welcome back. Good to see everybody. Uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. We are, I mean, we're going to look at a really long passage today. We're going to work ourselves through almost all of chapter 4, and because of that, I'm not going to read the, we're not going to read the text um, together uh, because it would take us like 10 minutes to do that, but I am going to start by praying. So join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful for another day. Thank you for the sun that's coming out today, and we uh you know, a lot of times we pray, uh, we complain about the warmth of the sun. You know, it, is, it is a little muggy after uh, so much rain that's saturated our ground. But today we're thankful because we get to see the sun shining through and it's reminding us, us of your creativity, but also of new mercies and grace today. So uh, we need it. We thank you for it. Thank you for the gathering of your church. Thank you for those who are individually here uh, blessing us with their presence. God, we've come together because we need you. We want to hear from you. And I pray that through your word and through uh, my words that you would speak to individual hearts and move us, move us closer to yourself. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, So we're entering a, a stretch of scripture that we won't see too much in the gospel of Mark. In fact, we won't see a, a uh, a passage of scripture like this until we get into chapter 13, very much later on in our series. And it's a stretch where we get to see the details of exactly what Jesus taught. Mark, uh, Mark is an action gospel. And so he's giving us a, a picture of uh, a lot of what Jesus is doing. In fact, we've not only seen what Jesus is doing, the actions he's taken, we're seeing what people have said about him. We're seeing how people have responded to him. But to this point, we haven't heard a lot of detail about exactly what Jesus taught. And so because Mark is an action gospel, he uses that word immediately, immediately. Jesus is moving from place to place, doing this and doing that. When we see uh, Mark pause and give us that detail, we should probably pause and pay attention to what uh, Mark is doing and how he's allowing us to to hear what Jesus is saying. And one way that we can do that is, and I really appreciate uh, what we're going to read today, is to remind ourselves of, of where we've been. And so there's really this interesting thing that's happened the last couple of weeks in Mark's gospel. We have this simultaneous growing fanfare uh, and, and growing opposition to Jesus. Jesus' ministry is, is really flourishing, I think we could say at that, at that point. He has crowds, thousands of people literally that are coming to, to hear him and to see what he's doing. There's religious leaders, there's um, just all kinds of people, uh, Jews, Greeks, affluent and not, that are coming really from out of the woodworks, north, south, east, west, and they're coming to, to see Jesus. And one of the things that we've seen in the last two weeks is that there's this growing opposition. There's this growing number of people that are following Jesus, but there's this growing opposition to him as well. In fact, we, we, we have already seen that the religious leaders that are following Jesus, looking at him, just trying to figure out what, who he is and what he's doing, um, they've already decided what they're going to do about him. They're, they're planning to kill him. They don't know how. They haven't decided when. But they have really decided that they are going to, at some point, destroy this man. Yet in the midst of all this opposition, even even opposition from his own family, what we're seeing is Jesus moving forward in his ministry. Last week, uh, as we read the text prior to this one in chapter three, we saw Jesus create a, a special family, the family of God. And he takes really 12 nobodies, 12 men that he calls to himself. He calls them disciples. He will uh, pretty soon call them apostles. And through these men, he would have them walk with him through the three years of his ministry life. He will teach them to do the very things that he's doing. And at some point, he's going to die, resurrect, ascend to heaven, and he's going to turn over his mission to them to create the church. And so, I mean, this, 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 thing that he's doing with these 12 men is really special. And we ended on this note last week that Jesus has drawn a line in the sand when it comes to being a part of his family. Jesus, as if it were, were saying, you're either with me or against me. You're either for me or you reject me. You're either a part of God's family or you're not. And those sound like harsh terms. And here's the prerequisite 
uh, the, the requirements for being a part of, of Jesus' family. It, it's not that you have to be in his biological family. It's not that you have to be ethnically Jew. It's not that you have to know the law or that you have to go to the synagogue or that you have to be in any way um, a, a religious person. You're in the family of God, which is to say you are a part of Jesus' true family if you believe in him. That's, that's, that's the requirement, that you have at some point um, trusted in him, that you believe he's the long-awaited, the long anointed son of God. And in our text, Mark has articulated this from Jesus' own words, that if you believe this, you're welcomed into his family. But here's the opposite extreme. If you don't, you're not. And he doesn't give us any other choice. And so we left on this note last week. What do you say about Jesus? What do you personally say? Have, have you heard his words and believed what he is saying about himself? So today we pick up on a new chapter, chapter four. And, uh, and, and guess what? This is still the same day in Jesus' life. So the last four weeks, we've been on the same day in Jesus' life. And it's been a, a full kind of long, but definitely emotional day for Jesus, as we've seen all the things that he's doing. And as the day closes, you'd think that he would go somewhere, just hide out and rest. But that's not what Jesus does. He actually uh, removes himself from where he is. He goes to the Sea of Galilee and he still, I mean, he continues to teach and to preach. And when the Bible says that Jesus teaches and preaches, preaches, he's, he's probably preaching uh, the very same things that we've learned already uh, from his ministry. Matt, this is Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Re -re Repent, turn from all those ways that you're trusting in, your own ability, your own self, to save yourself and to make good for yourself. And Jesus says, believe in me, believe in my words, believe in the gospel. And so that really is what he's teaching. That is what he's preaching. In today's text, in our passage today, Jesus is going, to, his teaching is going to come across as parables. Someone once said that the way to describe a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I think that's kind of helpful. Here's what parables are. They are comparisons of two different things. And what we'll see Jesus do in our text today, and really, anytime you're reading the Gospels and you're reading a parable, Jesus is taking something that's common to us, something that most of us know a little bit about. And they were an agrarian society, and so a lot of times it's, it's farming terms or things that people would have known from their own experience. And he's comparing it to something else to bring about a point. A parable lays down an image next to something else to make a comparison of those two things. And here's what I've learned as I've read the Bible all the, you know, the, the years I've been a Christian is, is, I mean, parables take some skill to interpret. And I think we're going to see that a little bit today um, to hear and understand the heart of what Jesus is saying um, requires intuition. It actually helps us to have, I mean, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand what some of those things are. In fact, what we'll see in our text today even Jesus' disciples didn't catch on to what he was saying, and he's going to take the opportunity to help them by going into a lot of detail and explain to them exactly what he's talking about. Here's another thing interesting about Mark 4. The whole chapter is parable. So I'm going to cover most of chapter 4 today. So I'm just going to come up next week and cover, uh, you know, it's a well-known uh, text about uh, Jesus calming a storm. But they're, they're all parables. And Jesus has a point in, in talking in parables, and we're going to read that in our text. But I think Jesus is, I mean, he just tells this string of parables, and he tells them together, firstly, so that we would read them, but mainly because he has a main point. And, and here's the main point that Jesus is going to make in his parables, and it's, it's this. It's that in and through Jesus, God has returned to lead his people. That, that's the point that he's making, that, that Jesus that through Jesus, God is at work, that salvation has come through Jesus, that rescue has come through the person and work of Jesus, that in Jesus, judgment is going to come. And it begins as he's talking about these parables. In fact, the one thing that Jesus will beckon all of us to do as he's beckoning this, uh, this first century audience to do through his words is to listen. Is to listen. 
And when he says, listen, here's what he's saying. He says, believe what I'm telling you. But not just believe what I'm telling you. Trust me. And, and there, there's, there's a, a little react, uh, action required on our behalf as we trust and believe Jesus. And that action is that we would also follow him. And that's what he says to those whose, whose hearts are willing and able to hear. And so you'll hear this phrase repeated throughout our text. Uh, to those who have ears to hear. Guess what he'll say? Let them hear. And what I would tell you is we don't just hear with our ears because sometimes your ears may fail you. We hear with our heart. So Jesus is beckoning us firstly to hear with our physical ears, but more so to hear with our heart. And so for those who have ears to hear, let them hear what he says. In verse one, he says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many parables, many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, there's that word, listen. It's an important word, not just in how Jesus, you know, just thousands of people on the, on, the, on the sea there, on the Sea of Galilee. He wanted them all to listen. And Jesus is at, he's the only person at this point that knows what he's going to say, him and God. Um, he's the only person at this point that knows who he is and that his words have the power of life and death in them. Jesus is the only one at this point that knows the authority of his words, that the things that he's saying, if, if listened to and treated rightly, could actually change a life like forever. And, and think of the, the crowd that had amassed before him. There's likely the, the 12 disciples, the, the impending uh, apostles. You've got religious leaders that are just looking at Jesus, trying to figure out who he is and looking for an opportunity to do something, to, like to, to move him out of the way so that he will stop influencing all of the Jewish crowds. You've got his biological family, the ones that were trying, that, that thought he was a lunatic and they are looking for an excuse to, all right, he is really shaming us. Look, I mean, he's gone on the Sea of Galilee. He's a boat now talking to everybody. What is he doing? But you got, I mean, you got the, um, just a crowd, a whole diverse crowd of people, people coming from everywhere, commoners, people of affluence, politicians, Jews, Greeks, all these people are assembled on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and here's Jesus thinking, and of course I'm assuming here, um, you got all these people and they, and, and, and Jesus is painfully aware that some of them, as they're hearing his voice and paying attention to his words, that they would be coming to faith. That they, and even as he's speaking, they're trusting in his words and believing in him, believing all the things that he's saying. But at the same time, there are those that his words are going in one ear and out the other. And, and honestly, the same thing happens in every church, every time the church gathers. There's people that are hearing the word preached and they're gleaning it and they're leaning into it and their hearts are saying, yeah, I need this. I, I want this. But there's also people that are in these seats and the words are going in one ear and they're going out the other, never to be dealt with. That's the reality of what happens when we hear God's word. And I would tell you, God is longing and laboring for, for them. Jesus is longing and laboring for these people here to hear his words. But he's also longing and laboring by the Holy Spirit for us in, you know, the 21st century to hear his words as well this morning. And so what comes next are four parables. The first one is the most important. I mean, well known parable of the sower. And the, the, the reason why the parable of the sower is so important is because it's the it's the foundation. It's the key to every other parable that Jesus will teach in any other gospel that you read. And he's talking not just about the kingdom of God, although that's the, the principal thing. He's talking about himself and what he's come to do on the earth. And so that's important. And so let's dive in. Chapter three, uh, uh, verse three. Here's what he says. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And so this first parable, Jesus is talking about a sower and a sower would have been a common image to this agrarian society. I mean, all of them um, just hanging out on the Sea of Galilee would have known what he was talking about. And the image that Jesus is going is giving them. I mean, keep this thought in mind. He's making a comparison. He's telling them this is what the kingdom of God is like. And if you're in the kingdom of God, these are the things that that are happening in and around and amongst and, and to you. And, and then he gives us the image. It's the image of a man with a bag of seed tied around his, around his waist. In the 21st century, this would be you going to Home Depot or going to Lowe's, and you get one of those automatic seeders. You're going to buy the seed. You're going to go to the seed store, buy the seed, dump that seed into the, the, the broadcaster, and you're going to walk. Okay? And, you, and that seed is going to get sprayed out everywhere. All right? Agrarian society, your hand is the broadcaster. And your feet is the automatic part, right? And so this is a man, and he's a broadcast sower. And so he's got this bag tied around his waist. It's full of seed. And he's going to reach his hand in the seed, and he's going to start scattering the seed. And here's what Jesus says. The, the sower is scattering seed everywhere. It, it, and there's not an inch of of his ground, of, of whatever the intended area that he's not scattering seed in. Particularly, he's scattering indiscriminately. And, and it, actually, it looks like the, the, the sower is so intent on reaping some kind of a, of a harvest that he sows in places where it doesn't make any sense to sow. He sows in rocky ground. He sows in places where he knows the soil is only like an inch deep, yet he expects there to be a harvest. And so that's the picture that Jesus is giving us. He's sowing even among the thorns. And this is the shocking part of, of the parable. The shocking part is that the indiscriminate sower is the, the, the harvest that is able to amass based upon um, the way that the sower is, is sowing. Let me say that differently. The shocking part is the indiscriminate sower. Uh, uh, the shocking, the most shocking part. Um, let me read my writing. But what's more shocking than the indiscriminate sower is the harvest that comes after it. Look at verse eight. Jesus says his sowing yields a thirty and sixty and a hundredfold harvest. Now, some of you grew up on farms, your parents were farmers, or you grew up in a farm-like environment, probably, I mean, there's probably not a one in here that's like an actual farm. Anybody a farmer? Like right now, farmer? <laughs> Come on, Jonah. All right, I believe you. If you I'm, I'm going to ask your dad later on, though. All right, so none of us are, are, are farmers, although we can understand the, the, the concept. But what he's giving to us is like an exaggerated picture. It's a, it should be a staggering picture. Uh, it's fair to say a hundredfold harvest would, I mean, that means God got involved somehow and blessed you beyond blessing. It would be, it would make sense that a guy scattering seed indiscriminately is going to get some kind of a harvest. But to get a hundredfold harvest means that God had visited that harvest and blessed them immensely. Then we read in verse 9, he who has an ear, let him hear. So Jesus ends the parable the same way he starts it. So in a sense, he's saying, listen. Not listen just with your ears. Listen with your heart. Listen to what I'm saying. Because the truth is, everyone on the seashore, I mean, they, they could hear him. He didn't have a megaphone, but somehow I'm sure Jesus was amplifying his voice so that everyone was hearing him. But think about for those of you who are in the room, and you have parents. Think about how you can be speaking to your kids and they not listen. Like they're, they're intently playing with their toys. They're watching a little cartoon on TV and you're calling their name. John, John, John. And like John is not paying you any attention. I've got a gift. I've got two gifts, actually. The, the first gift that my wife noticed was that I, I don't have a great sense of smell. And so when our kids had poopy diapers, I was blessed. It was a gift. 
I, I didn't smell a thing. And so she's like, don't you smell that? I was like, nope. Like, well, you need to go, I, I, I don't smell it. How can I change something I don't smell? <laughs> but here's my other gift. This is a really good gift. I can tune anybody out. Like, I can be in the midst of chaos, and I cannot hear people talking to me. I cannot hear people calling my name. And it's a gift. Most of y'all can't do that, but I can. And so my wife will be talking to me sometimes. And uh, I've, I've trained myself to do this now. Um, but she'll be talking, and I won't hear a thing, like nothing. It's like I'm, I'm like reading my Bible, I'm reading a book, I'm doing something. And so what I've trained myself to do is, you know, I've, I'll be aware that she's saying some stuff, and then I'll look and I'll say, are you talking to me? <laughs> See, I can learn. And so here's the, here's the deal. On this shore, there are people like me who, um, who is, they're not even hearing Jesus. They're there. Perhaps they're there for the wrong reasons, but he's talking and they're not getting it. There's others that they're hearing it. It's going in one ear and completely out the other. Unfortunately, there are also people that are there and they're just not getting anything. And that's 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 how it is amongst those who hear. And so Jesus tells he who has ears to hear are supposed to hear. And then there's another segment of people that are there. And these, are, these qualify as the, this is the, disciples, uh, the disciples' lot. They were there and they were confused by what Jesus was saying. And so that's why Jesus, in verse 10, goes on and explains to them what the parable means. He says in verse 10, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables. Uh, verse 11 is an interesting verse. Scholars say that that's one of Jesus' heart sayings. And a heart saying is a place where Jesus says something that most of us would say, wow, that was like harsh. Or, or perhaps even, a man, I mean, is that true? I mean, can we actually believe that what he's saying is, is right and true? And Jesus does that in several spots. Um, he uses uh, this phrase There's a new phrase for him, at least in, in Mark's gospel. He says to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And so when he says that, a way to interpret that is it's a divine mystery. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. There's some on the inside, like you got in group and out group. He's saying there's some on the inside who know Jesus, who are around Jesus, who know, love, and serve Jesus. Those who are truly following Jesus, and they've been let in on a secret. And here's the secret. Here's the divine mystery. Here's the secret of the kingdom of God is Jesus. That's the secret. Anticlimactic, right? But that's, when, that's what's been given to them. They have been given the ability somehow to know and understand who Jesus is and why he came. Now, the truth is, these disciples and the other people who are around that are truly following Jesus, hanging on to his words, they don't know fully why he's there yet. He's going to unpack that in, uh, in, the, in the future days of his ministry. But, but that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He is slowly unveiling who he is. God is increasingly revealing Jesus' identity. And Jesus is doing this even as he explains this parable. This parable is, in a sense, him explaining who he is and why he's come. And he'll unpack that and more in the next few verses. Ultimately, he's talking about himself, that God's plan for growing the kingdom of God is the seed that's sown within the soil of our hearts. The seed is ultimately the word of God, which is Jesus. John says the word is God, right? Jesus is that word that's sown and comes to full growth. And so here's, here's the thing. This is how this impacts us. If you're a Christian, this is supposed to encourage you. Why is that? Because you are ones to whom the secret has been revealed. You're not here by accident. Somehow... Some way God has um, put faith in you so that you would hear and truly hear and that the words of Jesus and the message of the good news of his gospel 
um, would cause you to acknowledge your sin and turn from that sin and instead turn to Jesus and stop trusting all those other things that we oftentimes trust to trust you. And so that should encourage us. That should move your heart. That's good news that God and the providence of your life and the sovereignty that only he can give for his glory and for your joy has made you a recipient of that secret information that you would be uh, a recipient of the secret of the kingdom of God. And you only know that because you have trusted Jesus by faith. And so the key to understanding these parables Jesus tells us is that we would connect to his identity. And if you don't get him, you don't get the parable. Why? Because the parable is really about him. God's will and his ways is salvation and his judgment. Jesus, I mean, the, 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 the message of the kingdom breaks into earth through the person and the work of Jesus. And when you understand him, you understand the very secrets that God is un, un, unfolding through him. But here's another point that, that Mark is making, that Jesus is, is making in this text. And we see it in verse, uh, verse 12. There's another side to this coin. There's, there's on the inside. Those have, that have been given the secret to the kingdom of God, those who believe in Jesus. But there's also some on the outside. Look at verse 12. He says, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to those outside, everything is imperable so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is another, another hard saying. In other words, there's those, there's those of us on the inside. And there are those who are on the outside and those on the outside are those that reject Jesus. And Jesus will say here in our text, he says everything in parables so that those who have ultimately reject, rejected him will never be able to understand. That's, I mean, can you see that, that, that hard saying there? I mean, just like, wow, is it really that black and white? And he would say yes. In fact, what he does in verse 12 is he's He's repeating a verse from Isaiah chapter six. And um, in Isaiah, Isaiah sees this picture. He sees a vision. He says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And then um, Isaiah sees seraphim, which are angelic beings, and they have six wings covering their face and their feet. And with one set of wings, they flew. And, And this angelic being uh, started echoing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at, the, at those words, Isaiah fell on his knees and he says these words. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to see what I'm seeing. What Isaiah is thinking of primarily, though, is anybody that sees God is going like, to be smoked. He's going to get killed, right? But here's what the, here's what the angel, angelic being does. It takes coal from the altar It brings it over to Isaiah and it touches his lips and it purifies him. And then what ensues is the rest of the vision. God comes to Isaiah and um, it's a really beautiful picture. He tells him, uh, I'm going to send you as a person among people who, who see but don't perceive, who hear but don't really grasp it. You see the picture? Jesus is likening himself by by quoting Isaiah 6 to the the, the mission that Isaiah had of being sent to a people that are rebellious, that that see but don't see. Jesus is right in front of these people, and yet they don't see him. They don't see who he truly is. They're hearing Jesus' words, and they're not grasping the things that he's saying as he's saying them to him. Coincidentally, the Apostle Paul would use these same words as I, uh, that we read in Isaiah 6. Uh, in chapter 11, of uh, actually in uh, chapter 28 of the book of Acts, and also Romans 11, verse 8, Paul, you know, Paul who was sent to be a missionary to the Jewish people, uh, recognizes at some point, you know what, I'm saying all these words, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm doing miracles, and these people see me, but they don't see, they, they, they see me, but they don't see the God that I'm talking about. They hear the words that I'm talking about, but they don't hear the Spirit of God speaking to them and calling them to himself. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to reject you and I'm going and God is sending me to the Gentiles. That same thing is happening here. He's saying God has sent me to announce good news to a people that will listen. And if you won't listen, I'm going to turn my back on you and go to someone else. And so what this is showing is that everything is 
that Jesus is doing is divisive. And this is kind of a crazy thought, right? Because we have this perspective that Jesus comes to just show us love. He's come to be nice and to kind and say good words and to heal people and do all kind of good and glorious things. But right from the get go, Jesus says things and he does things that are divisive, very divisive. Jesus comes with salvation. But the other side of the coin is that he also comes and he brings judgment. And we should see that his parables, the parables that he tells would be a part of that. And what the parables are doing is confirming and revealing the condition of people's hearts. And so if you're an insider, if you're one that's seen who he is and heard what he's saying, it's confirming that you're a true follower. And for others, it's confirming their spiritual blindness. It's a double-edged sword. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables. And so Jesus has decided he's going to help the disciples uh, actually understand what he's saying, because if they don't understand this one, they're not going to understand any of the other parables that he's going to tell, because this one is foundational because it's really about him. And so in verse 14 and in uh, ensuing verses, he goes on to explain exactly what he's talking about. And he starts in verse 14 saying the sower sows the word. Stop there. The sower sows the word. It would be an oversight for me not to mention Jesus is the sower, right? So the, 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 the parable really is about him. The parable of the soils is about the sower who sows indiscriminately, right? Jesus is the sower. The field is Israel. The picture of the sower is what Jesus has been doing throughout the, the beginning of, of Mark's gospel, chapter one through three so far. What's he been doing? He's been sowing the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's been giving the good news of salvation and he's been sowing it indiscriminately. Think about the crowds that have been amassed in front of Jesus, religious people and non, Jews and Greeks, affluent and poor, People who have come because they were onlookers, people who come because they just wanted to get something from Jesus. Can you just heal me and leave me alone? And people who genuinely wanted to know him, love him, follow him and trust him. And so he's doing all this stuff, teaching, casting out demons, confronting people. He's doing it in front of everybody. That's the indiscriminate nature of Jesus sowing seeds of the kingdom of God amongst those that God would have him do that in. And then there's some who believe him. And there's some who are rejecting him. And then scholars would tell us that what what comes next, we can sort of categorize into four categories or four categories of, of soil. This corresponds to the condition of our hearts. And, and so in layman speak, this is what's happening. This is what happens when all of us hear the word. One of four things is going to happen. And the first thing that he says is the soil of some hearts is hard. Verse 15 and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You ever seen water roll off a duck's back? All right. I haven't either. But think about that thought. You, you got a duck. He's paddling in the water. Above the water, you see he's like calm and, and collected. And the duck um, basically maneuvers quite easily through the water because his body is kind of impervious to it. All right. And so... That's the first picture. The, the soil of some hearts is, is kind of hard. They hear the message of the gospel and it just like rolls completely off of them. It doesn't matter what you say or how you say it or how many times you say it. Y'all have, y'all have met people like this. It's like you've been preaching to them. You've been showing them your life and you haven't been doing it with any ulterior motive other than they would just know who Jesus is. And yet it has not stuck. That's a heart that's Hard. He says, some, the soil of some hearts is shallow. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Verse 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. All right, you've seen these people too. These are people who are shallow. This is actually supposed to be a more positive response. So, what happens? They're going about life. They're showing a little bit of sign of maturity. And then what life gets hard. I mean, they start to get pressed a little bit. And this is the person when life pressures them. I'm going to take a step back to relieve myself. 
So that's what he's saying is happening. Thirdly, he says the soil of some hearts is distracted. I like to say it's divided. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So again, he's given us this escalating response. So this is even a more positive response. And these are who have uh, they have a, a, a seemingly a seeming desire to want the word. They actually have uh, in them a little progress uh, in terms of their spiritual maturity. They're receiving some things from God. Yet again, uh, the picture here is a person that's not only distracted, they're divided. Okay, they're trying to love Jesus, but they got some other worries. Uh, they're trying to serve Jesus, but they're they really want to serve themselves with their wealth. Or they have cravings for other things. And these are people that the Bible would call fleshly or, or, or worldly. Ultimately, they've got one toe in the kingdom and one toe out. And here's what Jesus says when you got one toe in and one toe out. It's like the hokey pokey, right? Y'all heard the hokey pokey? It's like you might as well get out uh, because Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. So partial commitment with Jesus is no commitment at all. And, and if you think about Jesus' ministry, you've seen these things. You've heard about these things. In fact, he's shown us some of these things already in the way that people have responded to his ministry compared to the way that he's sown indiscriminately amongst all those people who are watching him. And as we keep following Jesus on this journey ahead, we're going to see it more. We're going to see Satan, as he articulates in, this, in our text, snatch the word right out of people's hands and right out of their mouths so that they won't perceive, won't see, and won't hear. Think about Peter. When Peter told Jesus, uh, when Peter basically told Jesus that he wasn't going to go to the cross and die in, in our place for our sin. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You saving out the things of the world, but, but uh, of the Lord, but of the world. What's going on there? Peter, Jesus is articulating a truth of the kingdom of God. Peter didn't get it. He didn't pick up on it. Satan had snatched it up before Peter could actually perceive what was going on. And Jesus um, rebuked him. We're going to see rich people like the rich young man who have an opportunity to give up his riches to follow the greatest of riches, Jesus himself. And what does he do? He, he turns his back and chooses not to follow Jesus. What, what is he? He's someone that's distracted. He's divided by his wealth. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and his disciples will go. And I mean, they're I mean, they're true followers. Right. They get all the way to the garden. They they're living and loving Jesus thoroughly. And yet when G the moment Jesus is arrested and and, and, and put in uh, in chains and bound and almost taken away, what happens to those disciples? They all bail on him. What's an example of when life gets tough? My faith is shallow. So we see these examples happening. But here's the, here's, here's the message of this parable. Yet all these setbacks, the main point is there's going to be a harvest. Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty and sixty and a hundred fold. Jesus says, despite how the kingdom of God looks now, I mean, these are these are feeble beginnings at this point in Jesus ministry. And it looks like nothing absolutely is going on except a few miracles and a few things that Jesus might say. Jesus is saying, don't don't lose heart because this parable is not necessarily just about soil. It's a parable about harvest. And it's a harvest that's going to come about because Jesus ministry is not going to fail. And in fact, the, the reason why he escalates it from his 30, 60, 90 fold harvest is because he's saying it's going to be this immense, like staggering harvest. You won't believe the harvest is going to come about by his ministry. And here's the here's the here's where we come into, into play. We're supposed to have hope that, that we, we might not see, but an inkling of this happening it's been an inkling for 2000 years, but we're supposed to have hope that Jesus, that, that through his person and his work, that there's going to be this great harvest. What We're in the in-between period of Jesus coming and, and coming again, but there's going to be not just a sowing, but a harvest and a final salvation. 
And we're going to be the great recipients of that. Jesus has come. He's inaugurated a great, a great kingdom on the earth. He's sowing seeds and we're still waiting for the culmination of that harvest. And so when you, when you try to put to, uh, in your own mind, I mean, why is this important to me? I mean, Pastor, that's a great history lesson. Here's the lesson. We're supposed to hold fast to this. In verse 20, Jesus is encouraging his hearers to, to, to hear the word and accept it. And, and, and that, would, that would hold true for us as well. We're suppo- you know, 2,000 years into the future, we're supposed to hold true to this word and accept it. Why? Because we are being invited in to, to take part in this harvest that, you, that through, um, through our articulation to ourselves and to those that we would happen upon of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus saves, that he takes us from the lives that we're living and gives us hope for something far grander than we could ever hope or believe, that he's inviting us to enjoy the harvest and to actually help bring it about. And so that should, I mean, he says, if you have ears to hear, don't hear with these ears, hear with this one. He's inviting you to have hope in the harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. We get to be a part of this and that deserves an amen. All right. So that's that's the main parable he tells here. And then he decides to tack on three more at the end of it. And I'm going to not give these the, 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 the treatment that it deserves, but we're going to quickly uh, unpack these next three, three, uh, three verses. Look at the next three, uh, three parables. Verse 21. And so he says, uh, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in, uh, in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so this is a rhetorical question. And the answer to the rhetorical question, do you buy a lamp to put it under a bed? No. I mean, we bought some new lamps in our new house, right? We, we put them. Actually, do we buy any new lamps? My wife says, no. <laughs> All right. It looks like a new lamp to me. It must have been a different room that I never went in. All right. So we buy a lamp to put it on display so that it, sh- it shines a light, broadcasts a light in the dark spaces, the nooks and crannies of whatever we're looking at. And so he's likening this to his own ministry. He says, God would not send me to, to douse me out. I'm the light of the world. God wouldn't send me into the world so that I would not do what the, the mission for which I was intended to, to do. What's that? To, to be a shining light for, for all to see. Jesus is promising them that even if the secrets of the kingdom of God seem hidden and obscure, that they're not going to remain that way. Uh, they're going to be made very clear. How they're going to be made, made very clear? Through, his, through the cross, his death, and his resurrection. And ultimately, Jesus is going to come in. There's going to be a consummation of our faith. And Jesus is going to come then, not just as a sower sowing seed. He's going to come as a great harvester. And the verse will say he's going to have a sickle and he's going to be uh, whacking down all the uh, bare. I mean, just um, taking up all the fruit that comes from the harvest. In verse 23, he says, if you have ears to hear, let and let him hear. And what he's beckoning us is, you know what? When the word is, is given, it beckons a response. What's the response? He's asking us, do you believe this? Do you have ears to hear? And if you do, don't just believe it, but align your lives to it. Align your hearts to it. Verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear, which means Believe it, trust it, align your heart to it, but also submit yourselves to it. And then he is as if where he gives us another parable. He teaches a Hebrew parable here, verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more will be added to you for the, to, to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so this is kind of a hard saying, but here's what Jesus is saying. To the level you pay attention will be the level that you receive the ongoing benefits of the kingdom of God. It's kind of like this. If you got a little bit, then that little bit is going to take you a long way. And if you hold on to it, but if you if you don't have that, then what the, the little bit that you don't even have, God is going to strip that from you. 
And that sounds hard, but what he's saying is, don't treat me casually. Don't treat what you have the opportunity to know and receive about Jesus casually. He's saying, grasp what I'm saying, but more than that, hold on to what you have believed. And if you're going to believe it, believe it fully. Because we live in a day and age that what we believe as Christians is increasingly scoffed at and marginalized. I think especially of our young people. You know, we're meeting in a high school, right? A middle school, a high school, secondary school. And, and if you have a, uh, uh, budding teenagers in your family, then you know that the, the culture, the environment that they live in is increasingly scrutinizing. There's, there's bullying that happens because of the way people look. There's bullying that happens because of what people profess to believe. And our kids are under increasing pressures to give up their faith because they feel weird. Like, I mean, literally, they, they, they feel weird. They feel ostracized. They feel like if they, are, if they fully demonstrate who they are as followers of Jesus, disciples, believing what the Bible says, going to church and all that, that they're going to be on the out group of amongst their friends. Here's what Jesus says, young people. He's saying this to all of us, but particularly our young people. Hold on to what you believe. It may seem like the church is marginalized in our day, but there's coming a day that the seed that Jesus has sown will, will become this huge harvest. So hold on to what you have believed, because as we hold on to what we believe, God is going to give us the ability to endure through it and be strengthened. And then he tells another parable, verse 26. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use it for? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts large branches, uh, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And so this parable is not about the sower. It's about the sea. And what Jesus is saying here, there's something going on with the sea in the ground. And the farmer, although he's wise, doesn't even know what's going on. Why? Because he can't see it. And the message here for us is that there is some things going on in God's kingdom that we might not even be able to per perceive. And so in the midst of, of Jesus um, talking about the kingdom of God, he's inviting them firstly to, to think about his own ministry. Here Jesus is in front of them in the flesh, and he's asking them this subliminal question. What can they not see that God is doing in their midst? He's like, I'm here. Listen with, like, perceive with your eyes and hear with your heart. That's what he's beckoning us to do. Um, but, but here's where this hits us. What can you not see in your own life that God might be doing? And here's the, here's the beautiful picture that he unpacks here. You know, oftentimes, even for ourselves, we think nothing is going on. I'm reading the word. I'm trying to memorize scripture. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm, try, I'm actually trying to love and serve God. And there's like nothing going on in my life. In fact, it's just the opposite. And God wants you to have hope. He says one day there's going to be a harvest that just pops up. It's going to pop up, not just in the world out there, Jesus coming back, saving us. It's going to pop up before you, before you enter eternity. And here's the message. Don't dismiss the harvest, that God, the harvest that God is even now sowing into and preparing to reap in, in, in his time in the world out there, but more specifically in your own individual life. And you should be eager for that. Expect God to be sowing in you things that you don't quite understand, and also expect that you're going to see the harvest from it because God has promised that for us in his word. All right. He finishes up in verse uh, verse 33 with uh, with many such parables. He spoke the word to them and as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. All right. So that's a lot. Close your Bibles. Take a deep breath. <sighs> I actually skipped the parable. You can go read that one yourself. Let me let me summarize what we're supposed to get in this. Jesus is talking about himself in the guise of the kingdom of God. And here's what he wants us to get, that the kingdom of God emerges and it, it emerges. Uh, it emerges because of the central role that Jesus and his words to us uh, will play out in the world, but also in our own lives. And the thing that Jesus is exhorting us to do over and over and over again in our text is to what? Is to hear. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. We get this 10 times in our text. And so we don't just hear with our ears. We hear by the spirit in our hearts. That's what the parable of the soils is teaching us. On this point of hearing, Jesus says his parables are either going to enlighten us and enable us, strengthen us to follow him more clearly, or perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll obscure what he's saying and make us even more rebellious. Jesus comes to divide us so that he knows exactly who are his. And it depends on your ability to hear and respond. And so here's the exhortation of our text. If you hear anything, the invitation is to draw close to Jesus. Because the more you hear, you're not just drawing close in communion and, and communion and communication to Jesus. When you get what he's saying, when you hear it, you're actually getting more of Jesus. And that's the intent. Not to just hear him, to see him, but to gain him as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would see what Jesus is doing even 2,000 years removed. God, that this would, that our eyes would be open to see the beauty of the person and work of Jesus. God, would you open our ears, the ears of every person in here. God, that we wouldn't be people who the words of Jesus are coming in one ear and out the other, that we wouldn't be those kind of people that are shallow, that the indiscriminate sower, uh, sowing of the seed of the word of God by Jesus himself would not fall on our shallow soil such that we would be excited one minute and then just wimp out the next because it gets a little hot, because life heats up. God, would you help us to be fruitful that our lives would bear fruit, that Jesus would come, and as he comes, that he would see the harvest of our own souls. It would be a beautiful thing, that we would bear fruit, fruit that lasts, that we would be a part of the great harvest that's to come, and that you give us hope. And I pray that in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.